Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. I even said to my son the other day, remember that it was God who got us through that time. Remember that time? Remember those nights? Let's remember. And that's something I say to women often. Remember what God is doing and what God has done in journal. I'm a big journaling. Just write it down or take a picture of something or whatever it is. In the Old Testament, when when God led the Israelites across the Jordan River, right? Um he told them after they crossed to take these big rocks and, and put them up in, in a pile on the shore, right? To, so that they would remember, like a monument. So they would remember what God had done so that their kids coming after them would remember and their grandkids and people would say, hey, Grammy, why is there this big pile of rocks? You know, And they'd say, because God was faithful. And we know when he was faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful in the future, because he doesn't change. He's the same God. He was, he is, he always will be faithful. And, you know, I say journal and women roll their eyes and I say, well, then put a pile of rocks in your backyard, whatever you want to do, you do it your way. I don't care, but we need something that reminds us. This is what God did because in the dark times, we don't always remember, right? And we need a reminder. This is what God did. So we know he will do it. It's a dark day today, but tomorrow or the next day, God is coming through. He is. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. My heart has been so encouraged by my guest, Tess Scott. I love, love, love how she embraces her imperfections. Tess is the founder of Listen Sister, a ministry with a focus on encouraging women through what she calls the freak show of life. Using her message of encouragement, Tess has written a book titled Listen Sister, Finding Hope in the Freak Show of Life. I'm always in awe of women who have the ability to make peace with their imperfections. They're able to fold all their failures and embarrassing moments into the storyline of their life. And in Tessa's book, that's exactly what she does. She shares real stories that are simple, 
everyday life experiences, good and bad, embarrassing, empowering, and she reveals the beauty in the ordinary. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll cringe, and you'll leave with your heart having experienced a deeper revelation of God's goodness. And what an interesting life Tess has lived. And we touched on a little bit of each phase. Tess says she's the black sheep turned Jesus girl. She has eight children, all boys, eight boys. Let that sink in for a second. I even told her I would not want to clean any of those bathrooms. She's been married four times, two of which were to the same man. So God reunites her with her husband in her fourth marriage and all seems like all feels like it's back on track. And then she's diagnosed with breast cancer. So instead of a romantic new marriage, they begin going to the cancer hospital visits. There's radiation. There's a mastectomy. It might be hard to imagine, but her complicated life story is full of God's extravagant grace and mercy. And I'm hoping that all who have the opportunity to read her book or listen to her wherever she speaks or follow her on social media will adapt her attitude about life's challenges and maybe borrow her courage if they need to in order to heal and move past their regrets and shame. When I think about it, the courage that it takes to share the embarrassing aspects of your life is one thing, but to share the things that were your fault I don't know about you, but that would be a hard one for me to expose my shame and regret to strangers feels like I'm opening myself up to personal attacks. And maybe it's my background where perfection was drilled into my being as the only acceptable result. And trust me, I get it. Perfection is completely unrealistic. And God's brought me through that and given me healing. But I'd be lying if I didn't admit that sometimes it's challenged and I have to address those thought patterns with God. So my point being, who wants to purposely invite ridicule? But that's not how Tess sees it. The only place where we're safe to expose ourselves in that manner with regard to shame and regrets to be laid bare and vulnerable is with Christ. And once we settle our failures and shortcomings with him, no one else's opinion has any power over us. When we've transferred the pain and struggle of failure to God, laying that burden down and submitting it to his authority, it no longer has the same effect on us. It doesn't hold any power over us anymore. And God will never use it against us, no matter how many times we return with an apology for the same thing. He'll never reject you. He'll never leave you. The only place that we can find the power and the authority that takes away our sin and to embrace a forgiveness that allows us to lift our heads under the weight of our decisions and to experience restoration is at the foot of the cross. Don't hesitate to lay your, imper your imperfections at the feet of Jesus. His blood on the cross is still as fresh for us today as it was over 2,000 years ago. While we're still here alive, we have this opportunity to seek God's heart and to find out what it means to walk in the freedom of who he is and what he's done. It is an incredible place to do life from. Listen in as Tess shares her wit, her failures, and the beauty of who Christ is in the freak show of life. Welcome, my new Canadian friend. Hey, thanks, Sherry. I've enjoyed your book entitled Listen, Sister, and I'm going to include the tagline, too, because I think that lets the reader know that there's humor there. 
finding hope in the freak show of life. And I love that the stories are relatable and you pull the gold out of the situation, like the lesson Mm -hmm. through God's value system. And I think that's pretty cool. There's brief snapshots of your life uh, that left me reflecting on the power of a moment or even the power of simplicity of life. So before we get into who God is in the midst of your personal valley, I want to know what led you to write this book? Because Listen, Sister is not only a book, it's your ministry. What are your hopes for the message that you want to share? Well, my hope is that this whole freak show life isn't for nothing. You know, (laughs) we all go through all these things. Surely, Lord, let there be a reason for all of this. And I felt really strongly that um, God wanted me to share my life. But I didn't know, you know, what does that look like? Sharing just with one person who's going through things. Sometimes, sometimes that is what it is. Um, But I think it meant more. Uh, that took a while for me to get that and to kind of get it kind of plowed into my head. Like, yes, you really do have to share the hard things and um, the embarrassing things and the mistakes and all, you know, it's hard to be vulnerable. It really is. It's scary. When you say the embarrassing things, one of the little vignettes, the the short stories that you shared was how you mistakenly wore your son's pants to work. (laughs) (laughs) That's not his favorite story. I have to tell you. (laughs) I can only uh, imagine the poor guy. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> that was funny. I just envisioned you're, you're a great storyteller and oh. the humor that's planted in that as well. So it better was, you uh, than me. That's what well, I thought of when it was done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it made a story, you know, I mean, it, it's a, it's a memory. Like I said, it's not his favorite, but lots of people reference that story. And it was a really uncomfortable day, very uncomfortable. And nobody at work knew what was happening at, um, or what, why that was happening. It was, they were so tight. Oh my word. They were so tight. Like I couldn't even sit down, but I thought that they had shrunk because they were just black pants and I only had one pair. It was a new job and um, they were just so tight. I thought, oh my goodness, they shrunk in the dryer. And of course I've gained weight because I'm my age and it just like comes on every time you look at chocolate, you gain weight. And, and um, so I didn't, and I was in a hurry and I just didn't notice what was going on. So it was, it was a really um, uncomfortable day. Let's just say. The fact that you were new employee, so they're already sizing you up. And then mm-hmm. you come in in some pants that look like they were spray painted on you, yeah. I assume, because I think if I wore my son's pants at that time. So, yeah, yeah they weren't talking to you, but they were talking about you. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> Likely. I probably at lunch because I couldn't go to lunch in the lunchroom because I couldn't sit in a chair. So I had a stool. That's what I was sitting on. It was like a, a receptionist sort of position. And so I just sort of backed up toward the stool and kind of, you know, made it look like I was sitting on a stool. Uh, there's no way. And plus, I was afraid if I ate anything, I would probably like just blow the button right off the pair, pair of pants. Um, yeah, it was. It and that was creates a weapon. Yeah, a weapon. I don't want to be responsible for that. And I couldn't bring anything else into this body. So I wasn't, I wouldn't dare drink. I didn't, I couldn't go pee. So, you know, there's no way I could drink and then have my bladder full. Oh, yeah. <laughs> All those fun days. All That's a long days. day right there. So long watching the clock tick, tick, tick. Please uh, get me out of here. Oh, well, it was, you know, made for fun. I wonder if the Lord enjoys that type of humor. I think he does. <laughs> I think, I think he's probably going like, Hey, watch this, watch this. You know, like we have our phone and we're saying, does people like, look at this video, watch this. Maybe the Lord's going, Hey, watch this, watch this up there. I don't know. (laughs) Hey, he does have a sense of humor because he's given us a sense of humor. So right. Right. Hey, who's to say what he finds humorous with us. That's right. I don't know. Maybe that can be part of my behind the scenes when I talk to God. 
Yeah. Lord, show me that. The times that like you were holding your side, you were laughing so hard yeah. Yeah. at Tess and her son's pants. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, what a story. <laughs> Let me yeah. shift gears with this question. In your bio, you describe yourself as the black sheep. Mm-hmm. So I take that to mean that you were the bad influence or you made your family look bad. What led you to mm-hmm. believe that? Well, if you look at my at my life, like I've been married four times. I started out, um, I applied to go to college, got accepted, and then got pregnant. So at 19, in 1985, and don't figure out the numbers, but that's how old I was in 1985. And when you're pregnant in 1985, you get married, right? That's the thing that you did in the 80s. And so I was married for about a year and a half, I think. And then that ended in divorce because I was no na- nowhere near um, responsible enough and mature enough to be married. Um, and then, you know, then more relationships with men, more relationships with men, got married again, had some more kids, three more kids, adopted uh, a special needs son. And then that ended in divorce and then another relationship. And then, you know, so it just, as I look back, it even makes me kind of dizzy watching it all happen. Just the cycles of just so many bad choices, one after another, after another. And, um, and I think the things that I put my family through, my parents through must've been just terrible. Although they never yelled at me about it or anything, anything like that. But I just, now as a parent, I think, man, they must've just been so worried. Um, but yeah, so then finally, um, I got my life together. Maybe I'm following God and I'm doing the things and, um, I'm in Bible study and leading a small group and I'm following the Lord. And I think everything's going along just tickety boo. I'm married to Rick and he brought two boys to the relationship from his first marriage. I have, um, four boys adopted one five. So now we're at seven. I got pregnant then because, you know, that's one thing that I was good at. Um, so then this gave us an even number of eight boys. It was a freak show house, Sherry, the amount of milk. We had five teenager boys at one time in our house My goodness. and uh, we could have kept a cow going. I can tell you it was just so much milk and, uh, and food and just chaos. That's why I say the freak show of life. And um, then out of seemingly nowhere, I knew our relationship wasn't perfect. No, none ever are. Um, but my husband came and said he was, um, he was leaving. He, he, uh, yeah, he just, he didn't love me anymore. And he had a place in town and already rented for the end of the month and he was leaving. And, um, I was, I was shocked. I was devastated. You know, I was begging God that it wouldn't happen. A lot of the boys were out on their own at this point, grown up, you know, so there was, I think three at home still. And, um, I didn't want to be on my own again. You know, I didn't want the shame of divorce again. Um, And it wasn't all his fault. I'm not saying I was perfect wife and he was, you know, the bad guy because I wasn't a perfect wife. And so I take some responsibility in that relationship too. And there was a lot of external forces. We had um, our second of two sons who struggled with addiction. So we were walking through that. And so I think when I say I was, kind of blindsided or didn't want to believe it was true. I was, there was also other things. My marriage wasn't the focus of my life at that moment. There was a lot of things going on in our family and out of our family and working and all these other things too. Um, So it just sent me to my knees. I mean, I was in the green carpet. I say this often, my head was in the green shag carpet of my bedroom, just begging God to not let it happen and don't let him leave. 
don't let him leave. You know, after all this, just don't let him leave. And I would have done anything for him to not leave. And, and, uh, and yet God allowed it, you know, and he allowed him to leave and we were separated. And after a year, I, and my youngest son was 10, our youngest son was 10 at that time. And after a year, I went to him and said, um, I don't, I don't want to get divorced. I want to make it work. Can we go to counseling? Can we, what can we do? And he said, not interested. Nope. So uh, we got divorced and we were divorced for three years. And that time was the closest that I've ever been to God, the closest. And you will know, you know, I'm talking about when I say this, I felt like I needed God to breathe. I could not breathe without him. And I would not give up that time for anything. Now, I never want it to happen again. Hear me say this. Right. Yes. <laughs> and I, if he's I here, him. I would tell him, do you know, <laughs> I never want that to happen again. However, I am so thankful for that time. So thankful for that time because in that time, I grew so much in my faith. And it wouldn't have happened. It couldn't have happened if my husband would have said, you know, okay, I'll stay, but we're, I'm going to live in the basement or, you know, we're just going to have a crappy marriage and whatever. I just don't think that I would have relied on the Lord. I had to at that time. So Mm -hmm. I'm thankful for that. When I think about your face in the green carpet and God meeting you there, what is something that God does for us in those places of pain? You said you wouldn't have traded it, Mm -hmm. but why, what did he do for you? God gave me this overwhelming peace, even though some days were still just terrible days. I couldn't stop crying kind of days. And I think listening to my kids was even worse than the pain I was feeling myself, the pain that of knowing how much my kids were hurting. But he gave me peace to know that no matter what, I'm going to be okay. In the end, I'm going to be okay. Life isn't going to look like I thought it was going to look like, but I'm going to be okay, whatever that looks like. And also the opportunity to show my kids that, right? To say, this is real life. And let's always remember what God did at this time, right? Even though my son crawled into bed with me almost every night crying, but I could hug him and we could pray together and and fall asleep. And the next day say, you know, okay, we made it through, we made it through, you know, and it's hard to describe that, that piece in, in those times. Um, but you can't have it any other way. I don't think when everything in life is just going along, skippity boo, you know, um, we forget, we just do, we're human and we forget how much God is holding us up and how much we rely, we're relying on him just so that our lungs are breathing but we're so distracted by everything going around and chocolate and whatever, all the things, you know, so I needed to be reminded. I mean, I don't, I don't love that. That's how much I needed to be reminded, but it was true, but it's true. I did. And I even said to my son the other day, remember that it was God who got us through that time. Remember that time? Remember those nights? Let's remember. And that's something I say to women often remember what God is doing and what God has done in journal. I'm a big journaling, just write it down or take a picture of something or whatever it is. In the Old Testament, when when God led the Israelites across the Jordan River, right? Um, 
he told them after they crossed, take these big rocks and and put them up in, in a pile on the shore, right? To, so that they would remember, like a monument. So they would remember what God had done so that their kids coming after them would remember and their grandkids and people would say, hey, Grammy, why is there this big pile of rocks? You know, And they'd say, because God was faithful. And we know when he was faithful in the past, he's going to be faithful in the future because he doesn't change. He's the same God. He was, he is, he always will be faithful. And, you know, I say journal and women roll their eyes. And I say, well, then put a pile of rocks in your backyard, whatever you want to do, you do it your way. I don't care, but we need something that reminds us. This is what God did because in the dark times, we don't always remember. Right. And we need a reminder. This is what God did. So we know he will do it. It's a dark day today, but tomorrow or the next day, God is coming through. He is. I think that's when it comes to suffering, pain and suffering, we do receive God's beauty in the darkest of those moments. And I think that is what you're, you're describing and what you're explaining is his Mm -hmm. beauty shows up. And Mm -hmm. I'm like you, I don't know whether that it's that you get to see his beauty because everything is so quiet. When I mm-hmm. lost my husband, I would say, you know, the silence is deafening because my husband would fill a room and his laughter and his personality. Mm-hmm. So I don't know whether because of the silence or the absence, the emptiness that we get to see him or hear him better. But I agree with you in the sense that we get something from him that we would not have gotten in any other circumstance until things got quiet. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm with you on that. A few minutes ago, you mentioned something about taking responsibility. I, I am intrigued by this word responsibility because I think there is responsibility on the side where you take responsibility for what has happened and you begin to heal and you make some choices that bring you into healing, but then you can't take responsibility for somebody else's choices. And that makes us very vulnerable. Where did you find yourself with that, like vulnerability? Mm-hmm. And then yet you gotta you gotta heal. Yeah, that's that's a hard, that's a hard one. You're right. That's a hard line. Um I don't want to ever come off when I talk about this. I talk about this a lot. And I don't want to ever come off like my husband's the bad guy and I was a perfect wife. That's my fear, right? Because I wasn't a perfect wife. And in every relationship, there's two, there's two people. So I want to own the things that I brought in from other marriages. Like I just talked about all the whole freak show of my life, of many marriages, of many relationships, of relationships with men, of all those things I brought into this relationship in this marriage. And, um, so those are things that I needed to God to heal me from. And I didn't work through a lot of that until after our relationship ended. So I know that part of the problem, at least some of it was, was me. Um, and some of it was him. I mean, he chose to end it, right. That was, I still would have been willing to, um, work through things and, and continue in counseling and whatever it took, but, I just don't want ever anyone to ever think that uh, I was like mother Teresa because I, or sister Teresa or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I was just uh, Tess. Yeah. So um, (laughs) that was, that was all I meant, but I mean, God healed through that too. So I'm thankful. And that's a good point of when each time we hit this place in life where we come against um, trauma, pain, suffering, 
everything in the past pain, trauma, suffering shows up in this moment. If you haven't healed from it, or if you mm -hmm. haven't dealt with it, or if you haven't looked at it now, you got this hot tangled mess that God is willing to untangle with you because you didn't have proof that God was going to restore your marriage. At this point, it's done. He's walked mm -hmm. away. He's not interested. He's told you he's not interested. Mm -hmm. So now you've sitting there with a clump of hot mess and you've got to let God untangle that. What did that look like for you? What were you bringing? For me, I had brought abandonment into when my mm -hmm. husband passed. I was now all that stuff from the past comes in abandonment, rejection. When mm -hmm. in actuality, my husband would have probably chosen to, to divorce me had he wanted to leave me, but not mm -hmm. you know pass away. Mm -hmm. So as unrealistic as it was, it was still there. What are some of the things that you found that you had to deal with? Yeah, I think rejection was the big one for me because he was choosing to hurt me that way. He was choosing to hurt his son that way. Um, although I made those choices in the past. I did that in previous in a previous relationship. So I knew what he was feeling like. When, when it's you and you're the one doing it, it feels totally different than when you're the one receiving it, right? But I think I, I like what you said about the big tangled mess because it is almost like a big knot. And, and had I been able to heal more from previous things at an earlier juncture of life, it would have been a smaller knot, but with everything, it just gets into this big tangled. Do you ever have a pile of necklaces? So this is a weird picture, but it just came to my mind. I used to work for an auction company and we cleared out estates of people. And so sometimes there'd be a jewelry box and it would just have all gotten thrown into a bag or something by the family. And it was all these, ne all these necklaces. And I can still picture this guy I worked with, with this handful of gold chains, trying to untangle them. It's worse than string because they're all little, what do you call them? Yeah, they them? kind of settle little in. Little links. To, yeah, little yeah. links. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just picture this huge clump of um, chains and trying to un oh chains oh I like that and then mm -hmm. trying to uh, un unravel them you know and they're all so tightly bound together right. um, but if it would have been done earlier it wouldn't have been as big uh, a mess to try to unravel and it was a big it was a big mess for sure um, but God is sovereign and I mean God is the amazing healer and we can do nothing without him and I'm so, so thankful. So we were divorced for three years and my husband's not ever a yeller. He's not a fighter. He is an avoider and he is passive aggressive. And so I could text him about anything and he just would leave it unread. You know, I think unread was a thing at the time, but you know what I mean? He would pretend yeah, right. he didn't read it. He would just not ever communicate. That's his, that's his MO. Um, but what happened after a few years, he started um, answering me back, like, what? <laughs> what's going on? Why would Rick answer me back? You know? Right, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was weird. And then um, he would ask questions about our son or, and then I had to ask him one day if he could um, pick up Hayden earlier because I needed to get the winter tires on the car because I live in Ontario and there is such a thing. And yeah. so he said, um, oh, I can just give you a ride. And I thought, what? Like, this is weird. Who are you? You know? So he gave me a ride. He was nice to me. And then that just started like little, just little nice things. And there was no roses. There was no chocolate. There was nothing like that, but just little, not mean things back and forth. And then he asked me to go out for dinner. 
at this really nice restaurant. <laughs> so I thought, okay, you know, and meanwhile, I had been praying every day for three years, almost every single day that God would change his heart, just that God would change his heart. I just loved him so much. And I mean, after we were divorced, I dated a little bit. There's online dating. And um, so there was a few days I didn't pray for him, but, but really (laughs) 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 that is a separate book that I may someday write about. I don't know. It was quite a scene anyway. um, So he took me out for dinner and he asked for forgiveness. He came clean about a lot of stuff and asked for the opportunity to be in my life, just to be in my life, just to hang out sometimes. And I said, what would your end goal be? Why would we even do that? And he said his end goal would be to have our family complete again, just to to be married again. And so we dated and he said, um, you can ask me anything. I know this is going to be a lot of work. I know there's going to be a lot of talking. He's not a fan of talking. Mm. And um, you can ask me anything. I will answer honestly. And so we, for many nights, like four or five nights a week, he would come over to my house and we would talk through things. This happened. And what really, you know, is this really where you were? Is this really what was happening? All those things. And some, I didn't really want to hear the answer, but I had to. And um, he honored that. He never said no. He talked through everything. And um, at the end of nine months, we got married again. In the pastor's office, I find with your fourth marriage, it's never a big flashy event, but um, just a really small little wedding in the pastor's office. And we got married again. And then he moved into um, my house with me and our family is intact again. And it's an amazing gift. It really is. I love that you said nine months. Mm, yeah. And a new life was born. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. How does your son relate to him? Of all of our eight kids, he's ours together. The other mm-hmm. ones were his, mine, ours, you know, all that kind right, of thing. Yeah. Adopted and stuff. But so he's ours together. And he was also the youngest. So um, yeah, he was happy. He was not trusting for a while, though. It took him a while to trust that. The transparency that he offered up, really, that's that's the only way I can imagine that it would be restored is that he would be an open book. Yeah. Yeah. Because there has to be an accountability and some, because there is, with every relationship, there is responsibility on both parts. Yeah. And so when you're trying to restore something that went bad, mm-hmm. there's extra work to be yeah. done. And the trust right? The trust factor, because that person is going to um, not be with you every second of the day for your whole life. So how am I going to trust that person that that same thing isn't going to happen again? And, um, but I, but I can tell you, like, I forget, this is only by God that this can happen. I am 100% convinced that without God, this cannot happen. I 100% trust my husband, I forgive him. And none of those things happened in my, in my mind, but that's only God. That's only God. That's not Tess or that. And that's not Rick. That is only God. And so I really want to encourage women. um, And God doesn't always do that, right? God doesn't always restore marriage. And maybe it's not always the best thing. Maybe that relationship isn't the best thing. And that's not the best thing for that to be restored. I don't, I can't speak to that. God can, and he does what's best for us. Um, and I get, I've in my life given God tons of instructions with timelines and it never works out the way that I think. Right. <laughs> and yeah, I'm sure he's shaking his head. <laughs> right. um, I know, 
but he did see fit to do that, which I'm thankful for. Mm. And three weeks after our wedding, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So that's a a punch, right? (laughs) The wind out of you. Yeah. And it was just a normal mammogram. My mom had had breast cancer. So I was going for, um, you know, normal testing and which in Canada is free. So thank you, Lord, for that. And I went for my mammogram. They found something. It's breast cancer. So my first year of marriage, which I think is going to look like, woo, honeymoon, physical relationships and all of that stuff. And instead it looked like a mastectomy and chemo and radiation and Mm. uh, trips to the cancer hospital and losing my hair. Okay. And I do not look good bald. And um, I was really mad. I was mad at God a lot. And I remember thinking like, this is the worst timing. Are you kidding me? This is the worst timing ever. And, but you know what, Sherry, what I learned was over time, not that day, not that year, even later on, sometimes we can look back and see timing and why it happened that way. And I can say that actually that was great timing because stay with me because (laughs) I know, I know I can see, um, because that allowed my husband to take care of me. Right. I wouldn't have let him, but I had no choice because I was sick and I needed someone to wash my hair and stuff (laughs) and to take care of me physically. And so I had no choice, but to let him, he took time off work. He, you know, he did, he made the tea, he did whatever, all the things. And it allowed my kids to see dad's here and he's in it. And it was an opportunity to, um, to let him show how much he loved me and had the timing been different. Like, let's, let's just pretend for a second that I found out I have cancer and he hears, and he calls me up and says, Hey, Tess, I hear you have cancer. I want to come back and take care of you. I would have been like, uh, uh-uh, that is yeah. not happening. There's right. no way, I can see right? that. Yeah. no way I would ever have trusted him, but we already had the, the months of, of growing and healing and knowing and trusting. And then that allowed him to come in and and show that he loved me. Mm. Yeah. Because that's a pretty good fire of test. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's not, it was not a pretty picture. And I remember, and it wasn't all, you know, when you say it later on, you can make it sound like, Oh, it was just no problem. He made me tea. We lay, you know, I laid on the couch. Um, No, it was not fun. Um, But I remember on one particular day, I remember being so upset and, and crying. And I, and I said to him, when you came back, you didn't know that you were going to have to do this. You know, you didn't know that I was, you were going to be married to someone with a mastectomy. You didn't know that, um, I was going to have no hair. You know, I was really feeling bad. Sorry for myself and for him. And, and this is what he said. He said, Tess, I knew when we got married, when I came back, when we got married, I knew that we were going to be together until one of us died and we're getting older. And I knew that one of us is likely going to have to take care of the other. And that is what I'm here for. That's Mm -hmm. what I'm in for, you know, and, and that was a gift to me. Yeah. Right. To hear that, that he did not blink an eye that that was his life. He did not blink an eye that we were going through that season. He just felt like he just loved me. And that's what he wanted. That's where he wanted to be, you Mm -hmm. know? So 
it is beautiful and it is, it's, it's a gift really. And I'm thankful for that. I'm Mm -hmm. thankful. I'm thankful for that timing. You know, I don't, I don't know that I could be thankful for a mastectomy or, you know, that I lost my hair because I did have a nice wig, but, um, but I can find things to be thankful for in it. Yes. That's true. What are some of the things that you can thank, be thankful for in the midst of it? Yeah. I'm thankful that we had that extra time. He had a job where he could take time off, um, compassion time it's called. So he could take time. Yeah. So he could take time off from work and be with me. Um, my job was such that I had time off. Um, so I could be at home during that time. So we had actually time together at home, even though I wasn't always feeling great. I had weekly chemo on Friday, every Friday, we have a really great cancer hospital about an hour from our house. So he drove me there. And then I would be like, I'd sleep that day, the next day would be great, because I have all this, you know, medicine in me, I'm like, yeah, I can clean the windows and whatever, all this energy. Monday, I'd be sick as a dog, you know, and it was Mm -hmm. kind of like a cycle for 15 weeks, um, or 16 weeks, I guess. And, um, but we had lots of good, we had lots of good time together during Mm -hmm. that time. So and I had a really great long red wig, like Reba McIntyre. Yeah, it was. Can really you sing? Nice. I do like Reba? not. No, no, I cannot no. sing at all. I sit in the front row, so no one in front of me has to hear me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So the 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 red wig didn't really bring on the Reba no talent. Okay. No, no. Right. So I but it looked know. good. Where are you at with your cancer diagnosis? Your cancer journey? Yeah, I'm fine now. I get. I have once a year. I have a um, MRI just to make sure that nothing's come back. And yeah, I think it's all good. It's however many years it is, six years, almost seven years. Well, that's exciting. Yeah. 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 When you think about, I think the divorce and now this cancer scare, I think of the overarching beauty that God's doing in the midst of it all. Mm -hmm. But can you think of a time when you were crying out to the Lord for answers or Mm -hmm. maybe simply exhausted in the journey? Can you think of a scripture that the Holy Spirit brought to mind or a song that sustains you? How did God Mm -hmm. reveal himself to you? I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> it's in my Bible, which I don't have right in front of me, or, and I, you think I would have memorized this verse, but I remember one time, um, right after Rick had left and I was reading this verse and man, I wish I remembered it right now. Um, but I wrote inside it in my Bible, I wrote October and I wrote, um, 2013. God told me Rick will return. God told me, like, I felt so strongly that God told me that he was going to reconcile my marriage, even though he was gone, Rick was gone. Mm -hmm. And I called my friend and I said, this is what God told me. This is what God told me. Like, I was so, so sure. And she was like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. And if he doesn't, you know, and I thought, wow, I'm so sure. And then it was years, Right. It was years. And I forgot that I had written that in the um, kind of margin in that, in my Bible until after our wedding. And one day I just came across it and I'm like, yes, see, (laughs) you did tell me that I knew he did tell me that, but I had to get at a place where I could say, even if God doesn't reconcile my marriage, he's still God and he's still good. And he still loves me. Right. I had to get to that place. Because like I said, he doesn't always, but I was pretty sure that he was going to, but I, obviously I gave up some hope because I did date previous, you know, for a really short amount of time. Right. Um, and we were divorced, but I did, I, 
I was encouraged when I read that. And, and when I read the verse later on, it wasn't even a verse that said anything specifically about that. It's a really off the wall thing, but I felt so strongly at the time that that was God saying, this will be reconciled. I've said this several times before, cause I believe it, but, and it sounds like that's going to be your story. That is your story too, by the example you're given. But I feel like there is a time in our life where what we want or how we want God to deliver it. God says, if I don't do it, or if I don't do it that way, are you still going to love me? Am I still mm -hmm. enough for you? And in my case, when I'm trying to make peace with God, because this mm -hmm. good God I profess did not deliver good, mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't going to change, even though my husband had been passed for several hours and I still prayed for God to raise him. I mean, Lazarus, three days he in could. the grave. He can. He can. So yep. I prayed. He did not. Mm -hmm. And there's this question, am I still enough for you, mm -hmm. Sherry, if you do not get what you want? I think that's what you're kind of describing there when you, you have yeah. to make peace with that pain and with the God who I won't say God was making, you know, giving you that painful thing, but he didn't stop it. When it comes to our mistakes and our failures, what is the bravest thing that we can do? Something that I think is really important to do is to be vulnerable, to really share really how we are. And I feel like that's what God was calling me to do when I started Listen Sister. I didn't know that it would be writing a book or what it would be, but God was asking me to share the real tests, not the um, social media Instagram, if I was good at Instagram, but not uh, all those things that people share, you know, about their lives, but really what really my life was, what my doubts are, what my failures are and were, and all those things, because there are so many women who are struggling and they think they're alone mm -hmm. and they're not alone, right? I think that sometimes we talk about um, women who sinned and then they got saved and now they're. Christians, like as though now we're Christians and we never fail. But that is not the truth, right? And the truth is that even Christian women, I was a Christian woman and I screwed up so many times and so many things. And I want to say that to other women your past is forgiven and your sin is forgiven. And God is not looking at me or looking at you and saying, you will never be good enough for me, right? God takes us where we are. His blood covers over everything. Yeah. And I'm not saying, and, and I don't, and we know this, just go and do whatever you want and, you know, live this like, like, you know, life of, of sin, because we don't want to, if we love Jesus anyway. Um, but I think that we can be so, or I can be anyway, so, um, trapped in the lies that the enemy whispers to me that say things like, you're such a loser. You will never get this right. Look at you. Who are you to talk to women? Right? But that's exactly who I am to talk to women. I'm a woman who says, I have failed so many times and yet God can still use me, right? You've failed. God can still use you. Your faith isn't perfect. Your life wasn't perfect. None of it is, but God can still use us. And so I want to come alongside women sometimes one at a time, right? Mentoring women who are in the freak show of their life right now, whatever that looks like, and say, 
I got through it and you will too. And this is, and this is what God can do. And I want to come alongside groups of women and say, are you feeling down? The last couple of years have been like, and, and what can, and what can that look like? How can we encourage each other that God is on the move and he is, and he is not surprised by any of this. And how can we encourage each other in it and just be really vulnerable? Vulnerability that is very mm-hmm. risky to a lot of people and that's oh. where we shut down and back up and pull away when we got to yeah. be vulnerable. Oh, it's terrifying. It sounds mm-hmm. like your husband was being vulnerable in order to enter back into a relationship with you. Yeah. You were being vulnerable in order to allow him. And so there's beauty that comes out of that, especially if it's um, being orchestrated by God, driven by God. Um, and, and there's value in God's uh, method or ways of doing things mm-hmm. um, for clarity, wisdom, knowledge, discernment, things like that. When it comes to your personal relationship with Christ, walking out this journey of life, mm-hmm ups and downs, good and bad, pain, suffering. What is something you wish you would have believed sooner about who God is? Hmm. Yeah, I think that that goes back to what I was just saying about, I wish I believed that. I think I just was in such a cycle of getting trapped in the lies of the enemy, Hmm. right from the time that I was a little girl, Right. right until this moment, really, even it still happens. That's his game. He's, he's a liar. The enemy is a liar. And he just speaks those lies to us over and over. And I wish that I would have known sooner um, to fill my head with truth Mm -hmm. and to not believe those lies. Because that's a, that's just such a uh, railroad, you know? Yeah. I wonder what the, the transition, the hinge that gets us from reading the word to actually living out mm-hmm. the word, because I think that's a struggle. They say, what's the farthest distance is from your head to your heart Yeah, to try to get the two to mesh together. Any thoughts on that? Like what's the hinge to go from knowing the word and believing, I, I believe the Lord loves me to yeah. living a life that reveals the fact that he loves you. I think it's repetition. I think it's just, I, I know it, right? I read it. I need to just keep it in my mind all the time. Keep saying it, keep put it on a, like I'm old school. So I put it on a cue card above my kitchen sink where I'm peeling potatoes or, you know, on the bathroom mirror or on my desk, by my computer or whatever it is, especially the thing that I'm really struggling with at that time of life, whatever it is. Um, You know, God has a purpose for my life. God has a purpose for my life and having that verse so that I'm just reading it over and over. And I tell young women, put it as the screensaver on your phone, because you know, you're looking at that thing all day long. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and just repeating it and knowing it and and living in it and then bringing whatever, you know, if I'm doubting that, how does Mm. making myself think, okay, how can I flesh this out with what I know to be true? What do I know to be true? Always going back to that. Okay, this is this is a lie that I'm believing. I'm not enough. But what do I know to be true? What does the word say? And then and then repeating the truth. Rewriting those lies. Rewriting the lies. That's it. With the truth. That's but good. they, but you know, you don't know what is a lie unless you know what's true. 
And I, and I remember Good our point. pastor. Yeah. I remember our pastor speaking and he'll be so glad that I remember something he said, but like years ago, and it was, um, it was about uh, bank tellers and how, when they teach them to recognize counterfeit bills, they don't show them counterfeit bills. They show them the real thing and they study the real thing, because if you know what the real thing looks like, you can spot a counterfeit. So yeah. if we know what truth looks like, then we can spot lies. I'm thinking about how well that you represent God and your transparency and your honesty and your vulnerability. And one of the short stories that you shared in your book, it showed how orderly and precise you are. Granted, that was when your eight children were young, but I was curious to know what's the biggest challenge when trying to represent God well. And I'll go first. Um, I can be very cut and dry and to the point. And with the climate today, people's feelings are hurt so easily that I really struggle to be compassionate. And maybe it's my age because I got less years ahead of me than I do behind me. And so I feel like we need to get to the point, but that doesn't come across as very compassionate. What is something that you struggle with? I struggle with um, time management and because like you said, I'm a, I'm an organized person. So I have little blocks in my day. And I know that from this time to this time, I do this. And from this time to this time to I do this. So what I am trying to do is to be interruptible, right? And to learn that this young girl I'm mentoring needs to talk to me and she needs to meet with me and it this afternoon, but, and I'm not talking about like, I have a podcast booked or, you know, I'm, there's something that like a doctor's appointment or something that I can't change. I'm talking about, I was really going to work on writing. Um, you know, there's some flexible things. Like I was going to make meals that time or whatever. Um, so I'm learning to, I'm trying to learn to be uh, flexible and, and to listen to the spirit when, um, when he tells me, and I, and I wrote a story about this, about, I was, um, I was driving down the road as a country road, going to my son's farm. And I saw this girl hitchhiking. Right. And, um, I felt the Lord saying, pick her up. And, um, I didn't want to, because I was on my way somewhere and <laughs> I had things to do. Plus picking up hitchhikers sounds really dangerous, although it's definitely not in this area that dangerous, but anyway, I didn't do it at first, but eventually I did, I did listen, but it's being interruptible because I'll have in my mind, this is the way the day is going to go. And this is what's going to happen. And this is what I'm going to do. And, um, it's not always what God has in store for me. Two more questions before we wrap up our time together. And I typically ask them because I want to make sure that what you want to share gets shared with my audience. So mm. what is something that you want a woman to remember today? If she remembers nothing else, mm. please let her remember this. Yeah, well, I've already touched on it. It's fill your head with truth. That's mm. the thing. That's the most important overarching thing because it everything else is under that umbrella of knowing what's true and keeping it in your head. That's, that's my uh, kind of like my tagline is fill your head with truth. Rewriting the uh, evil of this life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else that you want to share that I have not asked you about, whether it's your ministry or your book or anything you have coming up or anything on your heart that you want to share before we close? 
Well, I, I love encouraging women. That's really my heart. And I'm so thankful that God's allowing me to do something that just makes me so happy all the time. Um, and not that I wasn't happy having all those kids and cleaning up pee every day and all that. I mean, that was just such a great thing too. Eight boys but... <laughs> in the bathroom. I can only imagine that. No. Oh yeah. Fun times. Um, but it can still be used for, for funny stories. So it wasn't all wasted. I'm sure. I'm sure we have lots and lots and lots of laughs about it still. Last <laughs> night we were sitting around laughing about it. I want to give women hope that no matter what they're in, that there's hope that when God calls you to something, just walk the next step, whatever that is. I remember when I felt like God was telling me to do this, to share my story, whatever that looked like, I didn't know. And I was so terrified to do it. I was terrified because it's hard to be vulnerable and honest and, and have made mistakes and my life's not perfect. And I don't want anyone to ever find out. But what I learned was just take one little step right? Just say, okay, what does that look like? One little step, one little step. Um, because most of us are scared to make, to make those kinds of, uh, choices to follow God and what he's leading us to do because it's scary. So just take that one little step. That one little step can lead to great things. I do know mm -hmm. that for sure. Yeah. And just trusting God do not despise small beginnings. Mm. Plus it makes it doable. If God told us what he was going to do, I think we would all bail. Yeah. We wouldn't stick with it. So just that one step, that's all you need. One mm -hmm. step, mm -hmm. one step. Tess, thank you so much for your time today. You've been very kind and generous with your time, your talent, your energy, your resources. And I'm going to point everybody back to your website as well. Oh, thanks Sherry. I'm, I'm so glad to be here with you. I wish you lived right next door. I do too. Mm -hmm. We would be hanging out. We would. <laughs> Take care. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.